Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two, episode 34. Contreras and the Cardinals come to town. Don't forget to listen, download, review, most importantly, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on the socials, Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram, Fly the W on Facebook, or email Fly the W670 gmail.com. All right, Crowley. The Cubs were uh, the beneficiaries. They took two of three from the Marlins this weekend at Wrigley. We're uh, Sunday afternoon. We're recording this after the, uh, I don't know, what do you want to call it, a a marathon of a game on Sunday afternoon that did not go the Cubs' way. But let's start with uh, Friday afternoon, day game, just like God intended it, as you would like to say. Justin Steele on the mound. Yeah, we got a couple things uh, to kind of take a look at. Number one. Justin Steele, what can you say? Uh, I thought he had a really, really look sharp this start. start. Uh, seven innings pitch, you give up six hits, one run, zero walks, four Ks. He has now allowed two or fewer earned runs and 14 straight starts dating back to July 22nd, 2022. He's tied with Max Fried for the longest active run in MLB. It also ties Jake Arrieta, who also did it 14 times between 2015 and 2016. But that date, July 22nd, 2022, when his streak started, he's posted a 124 ERA. And so it's just absolutely unbelievable. Um, he's tossed six innings or more in six of his 11, seven starts this season. I mean, it, I know it's only been slightly over a month, Dustin, but this guy looks absolutely like he would be in the All-Star game. And, and the question you've got to ask yourself is uh, – is he somebody that could potentially start the All-Star game? Right. That's where I was going to go, Crowley. Not not only is he an All-Star right now on May the, what is it, the 8th? May the 8th. Um, he is also arguably a potential guy to start the All-Star game. And again, he. what is so great about this is the homegrown factor, right? It's so long the Cubs have been getting beaten up, and rightfully so, rightfully so, by the way, for not being able to develop a homegrown pitcher. Well, I'll tell you what, Justin Steele now is the poster boy, if you will, for a homegrown Cubs pitcher. And and one thing that I also love is is his teammates, man, are just kind of rallying around him. It was uh, pretty cool. He, uh, Stroman wrote that Wrigley was rocking and Steele is the best pitcher in baseball. <laughs> I mean, I just, and then he, he called him Cy Steele is what he called him. Jamison Tyone, what a day at the park. Great pitching, great defense. Jay Steele, 21, got that dog in him. So, you know, they're loving it. And and it was good to see Michael Fulmer in that game have a hold and Mark Leiter with the save. So Friday, to me, was a a really good game. That's the game you want to see the Cubs play. Saturday and Sunday, not so much, but we'll get there. The offense... Not the so offense, much. <laughs> the offense on Friday, four runs on eight hits, the biggest a two-run homer by Ian Happ in, his, in the fifth, uh, his fourth of the season. He's been 3-10 with three home runs since April 14th, and he's reached base in 28 of the 31 games he played in. Also made a great defensive play in the fourth to preserve the Cubs' one nothing lead at the time. Two on, two outs, Chaz Gisenholm hit a line drive to left. 
Hap made a nice catch on the warning track. And I, you know, again, this is similar to the steel question. Does it look like Hap can repeat as an all-star in a gold glover after one month? I'm saying, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Friday afternoon, yes. Friday afternoon, he looked like a gold glover, an all-star in left field. Now, as you mentioned a second ago, Saturday and Sunday, not so much. But that was a fantastic play in left field on Friday afternoon. Yep, and, and then the big news of the day, you had two Cubs making their debut at Wrigley Field. Miguel Amaya caught all nine innings and was 0 for 2. Scary moment, he got hit by a pitch, but he's okay. I just get nervous with them because of the injury history. And then Matt Mervis made his major league debut plus his Wrigley debut. He played first and went 1 for 4, recording his first MLB career hit, an insurance run, RBI in the eighth inning. And Dustin, the hit was 111 miles per hour off the bat. I mean, the, he just absolutely, the, the guy just hits the He crushed it. He, you know, Mash, they're calling him Mash Mervis, right? Didn't his old man, didn't the, didn't the dad have a shirt that said Mash across the chest, right? The family's now, loving it. The yeah. family's loving it. I, I believe his father is going to be a guest on the Parkins and Spiegel show, uh, maybe as soon as tomorrow on the score, but definitely this week. And I, I thought uh, I thought Marquis did a wonderful job um, not only with him, but we're going to get to it in the next game with Amaya's parents. And it just really, really did a great job with the storytelling. Right. The thing about Mervis, too, that hit, that 111.2 miles per hour, that was the fifth hardest hit of the season for the Cubs. So think about that. The guy's been here one day, and he's already got the fifth hardest hit. <laughs> and, it and you know what? It ain't going to be the hardest one. He'll have the hardest by the end of the year. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about that. Yeah, he's, he's fun to watch. Uh little too many strikeouts. We, we had a good debate on Friday morning when we knew that he was um, when he was coming up. And again, he, he got the he got the hit, he got the RBI. I just wondered out loud as usual, I said, if I were in charge of the Cubs, I would have held him back on Friday. I would have started him on Saturday and Sunday. I would have held him back on Friday for a pinch hit situation. I want to make sure his feet get underneath him. You know he's, he struck out he struck out quite a few times so far. But, uh, hey, they, they put him in there. They had him DHing on Friday. What was he, batting seventh, I believe? Sixth or seventh, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, listen, if you go one for four every game with an RBI, it's going to be pretty good. You, you It doesn't matter how many times you strike out. If you go one for four every game with an RBI, you can live with that. Not only that, the Marlins have a lot of good pitching. And, again, that's what I always told everybody is that, you know, when you want these guys like Morell and Marvers called up, they're not facing this in AAA. This is a whole different ball of wax here. So there's going to be some growing pains, and hopefully, you know, he, he kind of learns to adjust, and, and that's what we're all kind of hoping for here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was he was a lot of fun, and, and, and uh, you know, we're going to get into it in the next segment, but I'm curious to hear what you thought of when Matt Mervis came up to bat on Saturday afternoon because you were at that game. All right, are we ready, Crowley? So game one, fly the W. We've uh, we talked about that game. Let's move into uh, game number two. That was on Saturday afternoon, as you would like to say, as God intended it. Let's talk about game two. It was also, Crowley, the 25th. I mean, we are getting old, man. 25th anniversary of Kid K. And I want to ask you about that in a second, so don't get too ahead of your skis here. Kid K striking out 20 against the Astros. Two Hall of Famers in that lineup, Bagwell and Biggio. The 25th anniversary. I had just started 
working in sports talk radio part-time. I was also cutting lawns for Wiley Quality Lawn Care okay, out of Elmhurst. And I remember that day. It was like a cold, grayish day in the western suburbs. And it was like too early to cut lawns like full-time. So we were like mulching, mulching people's lawns. And I remember we were like, I was like scraping out the back of this guy's truck, Scott Wiley. I'm scraping out the back of his truck, Wiley Quality Lawn Care, shoveling mulch, listening to that game in the rain. So uh, him and I texted on Saturday. Remember where you were on this day? <laughs> I was I was I, I was in college. I was at Eastern Illinois University, and I was coming back to eat some lunch. And then I had another class at two o'clock. And uh, I was I turned on WGN, was watching the game, and I said, "This is amazing." I'm like, he had a no hitter going, obviously. Matt. I'm like, "Well, I'm I'm, I'm gonna just I'm, I'll just kind of wait or wait around until someone gets a hit." And then I'll go to class at two o'clock. No big deal. <laughs> Let's just say I never made it to class. <laughs> never made and, it to class. And so I will say this: I went to an event Friday night with my friend Stuart McVicker from Club 400. The Kerry Wood Foundation held an event for their charity, and they do a lot of great things. And the uh, guests of honor were Pat Hughes and obviously Kerry Wood. And the two of them spent 30 minutes kind of recounting that special day. And you know how Pat can spin a yarn, and Kerry's really funny. It was so awesome to hear that and, and to kind of relive that from the two guys, you know, Pat, who was there and, you know, calling that game that day and, and Carrie who threw it. And it was just it was just so nostalgic. It was so awesome to be at that. And then I went to the game on Saturday and the, the man who made the, the K signs. There were yes, that's what I want to ask you about. Day. So that the K sign thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the one who did that, he was my middle school PE teacher and he's my wow. brother's high school wrestling coach. His uh, name was Tom Bojnowski, and he was just an awesome guy, very influential on me as a Cub fan. And um, he uh, unfortunately passed away, but he, his son Jake is kind of taking up the mantle of the you know Cub fan, Cub fandom. And so he actually brought a couple of the original K's from that game to Wrigley Field, and I got to see Jake. It was very emotional. Like I said, the family, his dad meant a lot to me, and uh, you know just everything with the K's and and and, and that the anniversary of the game. It was really, really kind of awesome to see Jake, and and uh, and I took a picture with Jake uh, and and one of the K signs. So it was it was really cool. Do you have one of these K signs in the Crowley collection or no? I do have one of the K signs. I'm one of uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame has two, the Cubs have two, and then three of us. I have one. Another guy has one, and Jake has the rest. So Look I do. Look at have you! One. Look yeah. at you! I I asked that question by blindly. I didn't I didn't know. So. Uh, God bless you. All right, so, Crowley, we had Drew Smiley on the mound that day. Let's talk about uh, game number two. Yep, the Cubs with this one, 4-2. And, you know, Dustin, sometimes you get the results are good, but sometimes you worry a little bit about how you got those results. A win's a win, right? But there are concerning trends I'm looking at in this game. You know, the Marlins changed their game plan before the game even started. They decided to go with an opener instead, Matt Barnes, and then make it a bullpen game. So they I was trying to figure. I was as a fan sitting on my couch, Crowley, and not crawling all over social media. I was trying to figure out what the hell they were doing. Yeah, they used seven pitchers, including scheduled starter Brian Hoeing. He was the one that was supposed to go, but he was the only pitcher to pitch multiple innings, three innings total. But through seven innings, the Marlins pen gave up one run, and it looked like it was going to work that plan because the Cubs again yesterday and again today. Runners in scoring position. In the bottom of the first, Cubs had runners on second and third and one out. But Saya and Cody Bellinger both struck out to end the threat, so you couldn't get a run with 
Runners at second and third and one out. In the bottom of thirds with two on and no outs, Swanson and Hap both struck out and Suzuki flied out to end the threat. They cashed in a run when Bellinger drove uh, doubled to lead off the inning and Matt Mervis, there he is again, drove him in the, uh, his second RBI in two games to cut the Marlins lead to two to one. But then more runners in scoring position problems in the bottom of the seventh with the bases loaded and two outs, Seiya Suzuki struck out. Seiya had a rough day at the plate. He went 0 for 4, two Ks, and left eight runners on base. He would he was supposed to get the day off. He wasn't in the starting lineup on Sunday, came in later <laughs> in the game. But here's the thing that you can also say is that the Cubs are the comeback kids. They do not give up ever. And that was really the biggest takeaway from this weekend for me. The Miami meltdown in the eighth, up two to one. The Marlins call in their stud closer, A.J. Puck, in the eighth. He hasn't blown a save. He hasn't gotten a loss all year. He's a lefty, and Marlins manager Skip Schumacher, he wants him to face a lot of the lefties that were coming up. He had Bellinger that inning, Mervis that inning. So it wasn't the ninth inning. He had him come in the eighth. But the Marlins have a really good bullpen, so it looked like a good plan. But then the Marlins' defense completely falls apart. Bellinger leads off and hits a ball that hit off Puck's glove. He picks it up, fires it to first, but Yuli Gurriel drops the throw. So that was one out that, that they didn't get there. Then Trey Mancini hits a ball to shallow right, but right fielder Peyton Burdick loses the ball in the sun. It hits him off the leg and goes for a quote-unquote double. Baseball's got to do something to fix things like that. That's ridiculous that they would yeah. call that a double. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Runners at second and third, Mervis strikes out, but then Magical hits one to short right and both runs score. And then Burdick throws it way over the catcher's head to allow Magical to advance to second, and the Cubs take a three to two, three to two lead. And then Miguel Amaya pinch hitting for Tucker. Barnhart hits a soft grounder that goes under the glove of shortstop Xavier Edwards. Magical never stops running, great hustle. He scores from second, which gives the car, the Cubs a 4-2 to lead. That's it for Puck, and, and because of the defense behind him, he was charged with a loss and a blowed save. So the Cubs got their first win of the season when trailing, entering the eighth inning. So they're only 1-11 in that category. Not great. You hope that evens out as the season goes around. But, you know, again, cheers to the never giving up. But... Um, Drew Smiley didn't have it that game either. That was probably one of the no. you know, short, short, short outing, yeah. short outing. He had 30 some pitches in the first inning, but he did grind it out. He went 3.1, three hits, two runs, uh, three walks and five K. So he got the no decision, but it snapped a streak of five starts throwing five innings, allowing two or fewer runs. But the bullpen was sharp. Rucker went 1.2 scoreless. Keegan had a rough road trip. He went three innings, gave up one hit, and had two strikeouts. He was hitting mid-90s, Dustin, on a lot of pitches that I was I was watching the speed gun. He looked better than I saw him in a long time. I really liked what I saw to Keegan in that game. Like I said, after that rough road trip where he struggled and blew a couple saves and got a couple losses. Uh, the other thing I liked, Adbert closing out a game. I thought he looked really, really good. I liked him in that role, Crowley. I really liked him in that role. Ross was asked about it after the game. He would not commit to anyone being a closer in the post-game press conference. So still closer by committee. Yeah, closer by committee. All right, so good news, Crowley. They've they've won the series, right? They take game one. They take game two. They go for the sweep in game three. Hayden Wesneski on the mound. Yeah, Hayden versus Sandy Alcantara. And if you looked at Sandy's ERA, Sometimes that can be deceiving again so early in the season, especially for pitchers who don't play every day. Looked like the ERA was higher than normal, but if you looked at the game logs of Sandy, he was getting better and better. 
it was a fantastic pitching matchup. I think Hayden Wesnitsky uh, pitched what I thought was the best game of the season. I've been talking about how he's been winning a lot of games, but it just didn't look the same to me. The results were good, but 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 things just kind of looked off. This time he went six innings pitch. He gave up five hits, one run, no walk, six Ks. But that slider, which is really his bread and butter pitch, yep. hasn't That's looked sharp. Thing, yep. Yep. That was really on. I mean, unfortunately, he gave up a cheap basket shot. I thought of you, Dustin, to Yuli Gurriel in the fifth. <laughs> the, as, as I tweeted out, the basket giveth and the basket taketh uh, away. Yes, it does. But Sandy Alcantara had his best start of the season. He dominates the Cubs for eight innings, gave up six hits, no walks, nine Ks. The guy's dot in the corners, hitting 98 to 100. So I'm not going to get too angry at that situation. I mean, he looked like an ace. And when and look, I got mad in the national series because it was Patrick Corbin and some rookie making his debut. And and a, and uh, what was the guy that from the Cubs from last year that they traded? You know, or the guy from the Javi Baez trade that they had? Yeah. Had. You know, it's just garbage pitchers. I don't like when they can't hit garbage pitchers. But Sandy Alcantara is a, Trevor Williams. That's what I was thinking of. But Sandy Alcantara, I mean, he's a great pitcher and he looked the part today. But again, comeback Cubs, second time in as many days. In the ninth, Alcantara, his pitch count's getting up there, right? With one out, half singles. Now, to me, I thought Schumacher was going to go to Puck, the lefty, right? Because you got Cody Bellinger, you got Mervis, you got Eric Hosmer, all this. You got all these lefties, so why not go to Puck after, you know, he gave up the hit? Um, half singles, and then Cody Bellinger doubles, and the Cubs now trail two to one. And then with the infield drawn in, Hosmer punched one and the game's tied. So super excited. And and not only that, they came back when they were down one run in the 10th on an RBI single by Nico Horner and by Hap in the 13th. So there's no quit in these Cubs. That's what you say, the no quit Cubs, man. And, and it was, I love to see that out of this team. Yep. Listen, that is something that is a credit to David Ross as well, right? And each and every one of those players. But yeah, the no quit thing is fantastic. Yeah, you know, when I, I I know I'm critical of David Ross, and, and sometimes, and this happens with a lot of managers, there's some guys that are better in-game managers, and there are other guys that create good clubhouse, they put guys, you know, good accountability, the, the atmosphere is what you need to be. And so, you know, hopefully, like I said, Ross continues to improve in, in the in-game decisions, and that comes with experience. But, uh, yeah, you know, but the one thing about this team that drives me nuts is something I was worried about in the offseason and some, I, you know, that they that's why they look so good in April. In April, especially mid-April, they looked really good with runners in scoring position. Ever since they went to Miami a week ago, week and a half ago, it hasn't looked as good. First off, I do want to say something, Dustin. I, I complained about that, uh, you know, that not being an error when the outfielder lost the ball in the sun. Right, and, and right. The other thing is the balk rule. That has to be the dumbest rule in the game. For those of you that did not watch the game, you know, they went 14 innings, and um, it was Alzelay on the mound and a run runner on third, and he barely twitched his glove, and they called a balk on that. That's not the intent of the rule. The no. intent of the rule is, is no. to prevent deception, to, like, fake like you're going to pitch or do something. There was none of that, and I think that was just ridiculous. Well, I think they were just trying to, at that point, I think they were trying to get the hell out of Wrigley. That's what I think. Either way, though, you know, as much as that was a dumb rule, the Cubs were 3 for 20 with runners in scoring position and left 13 on base. I mean, that, that that's the story right there. And with the game tied at 3 in the bottom of the 10th and the runners at the corners and two outs, Ian Happ popped out, slams his bat on the ground. 
In the bottom of the 11th, runners at second and third. Mancini reached on a fielder's choice and Hap's thrown out at home. Mervis grounds out to end the threat. In the bottom of the 12th and a runner at third with two uh, and a runner at third with two outs, Nico grounded out. And in the 13th with runners at first and second, Trey Mancini lined out with two outs. So you had a lot of opportunities. Lots of opportunities. Yep. yep. Lots of opportunities. I mean, just with the Manford man, you, you automatically have a really good chance. But when you have runners at third and less than two outs and you can't get it in, that's going to kill you every time. And so, again, this runners in scoring, I, I, I want to say that I thought the bullpen looked really, really good um, after looking really, really bad the last on the, on the road trip. Um, the only thing that freaks me out about this game, and I guess the reason I'm so frustrated about it, you used a lot of pitchers out of that bullpen, and, and there's a lot. You used Fulmer for one, Boxberger for one, Merriweather looked, I thought, really good for one inning. Leiter went two inning and continues to look absolutely phenomenal. And then Adbert Alzali went three innings and looked phenomenal. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to use Leiter and Alzali tomorrow. So, you, you know, you're looking for a big start. But we'll get into that when we start about the Cardinals series. But we all all, will get into that. Yeah. All in all, a good, good series for the Cubs to take two of three. Hey, they took two of three. You can't complain about that. Of course, we would have liked the sweep. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two. It's episode number 34. In this segment, our guy Crowley is talking to Sam Weidenharft of the uh, Pelicans, the minor league team from Myrtle Beach. And uh, we're going to find out exactly what is going on on the beach with our minor league Cubs. It's time for our Down on the Farm segment where we head down to Low A, Myrtle Beach to talk with Sam Wiederhoff, the voice of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. How are you doing today, Sam? Doing great, Crawley. Always a pleasure to uh, join the show and excited to talk some Pels baseball with you. Yeah, man, we were talking. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful day uh, at Wrigley and it looks like it's a beautiful day in uh, Myrtle Beach, huh? Yeah, I mean, early May um, is kind of the best part to be in Myrtle Beach because, you know, it's not too humid yet. Like, you can start to get to June and July and you get that really that really hot weather. But about 78 degrees here today, it's going to be like that for the rest of the week. And um, and the Pelicans come home next week uh, for the uh, first – we've been on the road two weeks and we come back home next week. So, just going to be great weather. And, uh, I mean, you can't beat it over here. You, you, you got to be uh, ready to get home, though. You know, like you said, get off the road a little bit and kind of kind of get back to some home cooking, right? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I, so I don't travel with the team. When they go, they, um, you know, they're there and I'm back in Myrtle Beach. So I'm happy to have them back and actually start broadcasting again. And, um, you know, we've only had about seven or eight home games in the first 24 or 25 games. So i um, just excited to see these guys again and see the, the leaps they've made um, just early in the season. Well, taking a look right now at the Carolina League South, you got Columbia in first place at 16 and 10, but you guys are right there in second, 14 and 11. You're 1.5 back, and, and you got a little two-game winning streak, six and four in the last 10. So, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about Myrtle Beach and what's been going on since the last time we talked. Well, it's just kind of apparent that early in the season, we're just finding ways to, you know, stay above 500 and stay, you know, uh, finding ways to win ball games. Um, I think about Saturday night's game against Columbia. Um, that was a comeback victory, three to two in 11 innings, and Raybosh Garcia has a big single um, in the top of the 11th to give the Pelicans the victory there. And, um, you know, we go and play Charleston on the road, a seven-game series there because there was a doubleheader involved in that series. And traditionally, the past two years, the River Dogs have been the top team in the league um, and one of the top teams in minor league baseball. And, you know, we took five of seven against them. Now, it does look like they've taken a little bit of a step back this year. But, um, you know, still, when you take five of seven against any team in minor league baseball, that's that's pretty impressive. So, uh, yeah, just, just finding ways to win ball games and, 
Um, you know, this young group of, of hitters is starting to really, you know, make some improvements and you can really see it in real time. And then the starting pitching that we've had has uh, been pretty impressive so far um, with the bullpen, you know, making strides as well. Yeah, I did want to talk to you. So you Friday, right? You guys played Friday and that was a start for Jackson Ferris. So he wasn't on the team uh, when you guys uh, first got started, opened up. Uh, Jackson Ferris was uh, the pick right behind Cade Horton. Talk to me about Jackson Ferris. I mean, he went Friday, three innings pitch, no earned runs, right? One walk, no hits, one and seven Ks. So not bad, eh? Uh, you can't have a better debut than what Jackson did on Friday night against the Fireflies, especially the way that Columbia was hitting the ball coming into that game. Um, you know, they had two double-digit run performances coming into it, and then Jackson just shuts it down right out of the gate, um, strikes out seven of the first ten batters he faces, and just zips the fastball into about 95 miles per hour right in the zone, has got a great-looking curveball, and has got a really good slider too. Now, he didn't show it too much in the Columbia game, but just what I've been hearing is that slider also – uh, just looks incredible. So talking with our manager, Buddy Bailey, he said that Jackson Ferris is the real deal. And I cannot wait to see him when he gets back to Myrtle Beach. And, um, you know, he's certainly going to be the the guy to watch in this starting pitching staff. That's for sure. And I mean, I just haven't seen you don't see too many 19 year olds completely skip out on the complex and go right to full season baseball. But that's exactly what he did. Um, so you can tell the Cubs think of him very highly. And uh, he really showed it in that first start. So we're, we're talking about Jackson Ferris and the guy drafted in front of him, Cade Horton. I mean, you know, four games started, 126 ERA. I mean, just looking like a first-round draft pick. Yeah, you can't say enough about him. Um, he's done exactly what, uh, you know, what he's expected to do here in low A and then some. Um, you know, the strikeout numbers are great, and just no one's catching up to that slider. I mean, he's just missing so many bats with it. And then he's also added this. I mean, his fastball is coming in 97, 98 miles per hour, and – uh, that first home game that he started at Pelicans Ballpark, we didn't have the radar gun going, so I couldn't see anything. But our video guy uh, texts me in the middle of the first inning and says, uh, yeah, Cade's throwing 98 right now. So I was like, okay, that's uh, that's probably going get, to get, get the job done. And it has so far. <laughs> he's uh, He's got a great mound presence um, and just a great, great guy in general. Um, I've, I've spent the past couple of weeks kind of getting to know him, and we did a, a big project on him a few weeks ago. And um, it's just ready to show out in the Cubs organization and, um, this is certainly going to be a big year for him. Nice. Now, one guy that the guy that you got going today, Brody McCauley, tell me a little bit more about Brody. Well, Brody just knows how to pitch. Um, he's an experienced player that uh, was drafted last year out of Wingate University in Division Two. But you look at his Wingate numbers, and the strikeout to walk ratio is just absurd. I mean, his senior year numbers. Oh, struck out over a hundred and only walked like twenty-five guys. I mean, he is just he knows where to put the ball in the zone. And, um, you know, he goes up there with confidence. He misses bats. He, attack hit, he attacks hitters um, and just has a great approach. So excited to see what he does on the bump today against the Fireflies. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's been a great guy. That last arm in the rotation, typically starting about Saturday or Sunday, and uh, just fills up the zone. I mean, he just knows how to throw strikes, which at this level, you know, a lot of the guys are trying to find that command. And it's pretty clear that Brody already has that. Now, question, you were talking a little bit about, about the bullpen and how it's kind of starting to come together. Two guys that kind of, I've been watching, Mariano Santi and Jonathan Okendo. Is there, you know, th that, that bullpen is starting to really kind of come into shape a little bit? Yeah, it is. Um, so Okendo is a returning guy that pitched uh, 31, I believe 31 games for us last year, which was the most out of any pitcher um, on the staff. So he already has experience. And uh, it just came out last night and pitched three scoreless innings against the Fireflies and kept that a 2-2 tie game 
which allowed the Pelicans to score that winning run in the in, in the eleventh. But um, just an experienced pitcher. He's got a great fastball, um, a couple of good secondary pitches as well. And then Santi. Now Santi's uh, struggled his past couple of outings, but when he first started in single A, he had his curveball working. Um, and just everything was going right for him. Didn't allow an earned run in his first three appearances. Um, and it's kind of taken a step back in his past couple of outings. So just working through some adversity. And it's going to be interesting to see how he, um, you know, bounces back in, in his next outing. But there's a lot of good things to think about with Marino Santi. Um, he's not the biggest guy on the mound, but uh, just, you know, has a great curveball that I really enjoy watching. A lot of vertical movement on that pitch. And, uh, you know, it'll be exciting to see uh, how he develops throughout the rest of the year. Now, obviously, a name that you and I talked about last time that everybody's going to be watching, of course, is going to be Christian Hernandez. Um, it seems like he's still kind of trying to – it seems like he's doing a little bit better lately, but, but you know, obviously some growing pains down in Myrtle Beach. He, so he started off pretty well. Um, the strikeout numbers were uh, just very low, which was good to see and something you don't typically see from a 19-year-old guy starting in full-season baseball. Um, now, recently, those strikeout numbers have ticked up. But he's shown the power. He's got a couple of home runs, drives it gap to gap, uh, makes good contact. And now that, um, you know, it's always interesting in, in the beginning of the year because nobody really knows anything about anybody. You know, where everyone's still getting those scouting reports on the pitchers. The pitchers are still getting the scouting reports on the hitters. And now that, you know, there's some information to go off of, now we're going to be seeing how, how does Christian uh, adjust as the season goes on and, um, you know, what kind of adjustments is he going to make to his approach at the plate? Because right now he's – um, you know, striking out a little bit more than I think he wants to. But as the season goes on, it'll be, you know, interesting to see how those strikeout numbers go down and hopefully the contact goes up. You know, it, it's it's funny, Sam, because for a while it seems like the Cubs didn't have much going on in the catching department uh, in the minor leagues. Obviously, we have Miguel Amaya up in Chicago now, but, you know, it, it's been a rough path for him to get there. But it seems like, you know, when I look at the catching position now in the minors, it it, it seems like they're developing more and more catchers. Uh, you guys got two down there in Moises Ballesteros and uh, Miguel Fabrizio. And those guys look, you know, pretty impressive so far, wouldn't you say? Yeah, Ballesteros looks awesome. I mean, he's hitting over 300 right now. His OPS is over 900, um, four home runs. We knew he had the power coming into this year, but that's just grown immensely and just makes great contact. A lot of good decisions at the plate, um, has a great approach when he comes up. It's hard to get him out, that's for sure. He is finding gaps in the field um, to get on base. Fabrizio, so Fabrizio came in as a catcher originally. He's now playing first base and uh, DHing for the Pelicans right now, but had his first home run last night and uh, has just really, you know, been a solid power hitter at the plate. Miguel Pabone is our other catcher that um, usually it's him and Biaceros that flip off, and uh, Pabone has been awesome as well. I mean, the catching position for the Pelicans has been probably the strongest in the field so far this year, Pabone's hitting over 300. He's gotten on base in all but, I think, one game so far and um, brings a lot of electricity into the clubhouse as well. So Pabone's a fun guy to watch, Biaceros as well. And uh, Fabrizio uh, playing first and DHing has uh, certainly been exciting so far. Now, everybody here in Chicago is hollering. We finally got, um, you know, Mervis up to Chicago, but now everyone wants Christopher Morrell up here. Talk to me about Rafael Morel, his, his his brother. I mean, we've talked before. Guys look exactly alike, and they they both play multiple positions. But you know, there's just an energy about those those guys that just seems to be like infectious. No, seriously. I mean, Rafael is always smiling, just like you see Christopher is. Um, and I mean, you're right. Morel is is willing to fit in at any position 
in the field. I think he's played everything except left field, right field, and first base so far this year, and obviously pitcher and catcher. But um, he's been all over the infield. Buddy's not afraid to put him in center field. Um, just getting a lot of experience, and which in turn is getting him at bats at the plate. And he's been pretty solid at the plate so far um, for the Pelicans this year. But yeah, just a really fun guy to be around. Um, I was uh, I was out. So back when we were at home, uh, the Pelicans were taking batting practice and I was out there kind of talking with the guys and just learning a few Spanish phrases because my Spanish is uh, is not great. So trying to learn as much as I can and uh, decided I'd you know try it out on Morel. And I said something and he was pretty shocked. He was like, OK, OK. He was uh, he was happy that I was giving some Espanol to him. But um, yeah, just a really fun guy to be around and um, excited to see how he progresses this year. Yeah, you know, just you you got to root for those guys. They're just absolutely just wonderful. Now, one player, Reginald Preciado, um, we talked about with the U Darvish trade and all that stuff. He really seems to be scuffling. What do you see going on there? Well, I, I see a lot different of a player than what he was last year um, in a good way, right? He's not striking out nearly as much as he was his first year with the Pelicans. And that first year was so strange because he gets hurt in June, right when he was kind of starting to figure things out. And then comes back to the Pelicans at the end of the year, but just didn't have enough time to get in that routine. Um, average doesn't look great right now, but again, he's making contact. And I think, you you know, as the year goes on, you're going to start seeing some of those uh, those ground outs turn into hits. And, uh, you know, he'll start finding places in the field to, to get on base. But the, the big encouraging thing for me with Preciado is he's not striking out nearly as much. And he's being a lot more selective um, in Pelicans ballpark when he when he hits there. He's had a couple of what would be home runs in other ballparks just not get out um, because, you know, Pelicans ballpark is such a pitcher's ballpark and they usually hold them in, but um, just a lot more confident this year. I think, you know, once, once May kind of kicks in, he'll, he'll start to turn things around. Now, as we talked about, you got, you got a game today against Columbia and then the boys come home for a what two week homestand Lynchburg and Augusta. So as you mentioned earlier, you know, this is really a fun time to head down to Myrtle beach as far as the weather is concerned and, and if people haven't planned their vacations yet, Myrtle beach is, I mean, obviously just Myrtle beach on, a, on its own is a fun place to go to, you know, and now you got good Cubs baseball there. Uh, what would you say as far as any of these upcoming series that you're really kind of looking forward as a measuring stick for the Myrtle beach Pelicans? Well, I mean, just certainly looking forward to, to watching them again and seeing um, just the amount of progression that's taken place in the past couple of weeks. And I just, you know, like I said earlier, looking forward to seeing what adjustments the guys make at the plate now that um, the scouting reports are out, you know, pitchers know how to beat them um, and just, you know, seeing how those hitters kind of adjust now and, and what go, you know, what happens, but we're really getting into the middle of the season now and guys are getting their routines down and starting to figure some things out. So yeah, I mean, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to watch. That's for sure. Two straight home weeks. Um, You know, I think the, the power numbers are certainly something that I'm going to be watching for because we, we took on the Augusta Green Jackets um, in our last home series and didn't hit a single home run. And then we go to Charleston and hit 10 home runs. So, you know, what's how's that how's that field going to play? How many balls are going to leave the leave the yard? And, um, you know, are guys going to have enough power to get it out of there? I mean, we obviously I talked about Pelicans ballpark is such a pitcher's friendly ballpark. So, um, you know, we'll see how those how those power num- numbers kind of get skewed. But that'll certainly be something I'm watching. But I mean, like you said, Crawley, it's going to be great weather. Um, two straight weeks of Pelicans baseball and um, a lot of great crowds that we're going to see out there. Yeah. And if people don't know, you got Tuesdays, you got Corona and Modelo tacos and tall boys, another like taco Tuesday, you got Wiener Wednesday, 
Thirsty Thursday with Budweiser. So just always, it seems like there's always something going on around the ballpark in Myrtle Beach. And that's, I mean, we do it like Myrtle Beach does it, right? There's always something going on in Myrtle Beach and there's always something going on at a Pelicans game. Um, so uh, like you said, a lot of a lot of stuff to look forward to. And I mean, the crowds love it. The crowds are super energetic. The players love it. I mean, they get, they certainly feel the energy from the, from the home crowd when we play at Pelicans ballpark. So um, yeah, just a, a super fun environment and uh, just can't wait for two straight weeks of it. Now t- we were talking off air a little bit. It's just so awesome because I said, you know, today I'm watching, I was watching the Cubs game and then when the game's over, I can then flip using the MLB app or the Bally's app and watch Myrtle beach baseball. But obviously when you guys get on marquee, it's something special. When's the next uh, marquee showing for the Myrtle beach Pelicans? We have a, our next solo game is, Oh gosh, like, I don't know the exact date, but I know it's that second week of the, of the homestand. Um, so that second week we do have a road to Wrigley I believe next Friday Friday or Saturday so that'll be I mean those those shows are always super fun to watch and you get to catch up on all the affiliates but um a solo marquee game in that next that next week of the homestand and uh yeah I mean the exposure is great for the players you get the fans that that get to know these guys names and um you know see how they play every day and kind of get to catch up with everybody and uh yeah I mean it's just being on marquee is the best thing ever we love it we love to put our brand out there and uh, you know, make sure the Cubs fans know who we are. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so many different ways that you get to consume minor league baseball now, which I think is an awesome thing. Well, Sam, I appreciate you jumping on here. We're hoping for a Pelicans win. And, and, and again, everybody's going to be watching, especially with those two young flamethrowers you got down there. there. There's a lot of excitement happening in Myrtle beach and we can't wait to catch it all. A lot of excitement, a lot of great players on the team. And uh, it's just going to be a fun season. Thanks so much for having me on Crawley. Take care, bud. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two. It's episode number 34. And Crowley, the Cardinals, and Contreras are coming to town. Wow. There is some news we need to discuss about Wilson Contreras and the Cardinals as they come into Wrigley on this Monday. It is the big story. And then as we look at it, it is just it is stunning what is what has happened really quick for the Cardinals. Um, right now, Pittsburgh still in first place, but the NL Central has been hurting, hurting, hurting. The Pirates have lost seven in a row, coming down to earth. Uh, they're 20 and 15. Milwaukee finally broke their losing streak. They're at 19 and 15. And then the Cubs are in third place at 500 again, but they're only 2.5 games back, so they've made a little bit of ground up. But the Cardinals are in the basement, 11 and 24. They had a nine-game losing streak. They snapped it today, but. Man, oh man, it is it is a wild one. And so last time we saw the Cardinals, there's been a few changes, one that we will definitely talk a little bit more about. But obviously, the key addition, the one that Cup fans have known about and circled this game for a long time, Wilson Contreras playing with the Redbirds. They lost Jose Quintana and Corey Dickerson in the offseason free agency. They did re-sign Adam Wainwright one more year for the old man. Nolan Arenado, shockingly, did not exercise his opt-out clause and Yadi uh, Yadi Yadier Molina retired, which is part of the story that we will talk about. Now, last season, the Cubs and Cardinals played 19 times, and the Cubs got dominated. They won six and they lost 13. They were four and six at Wrigley Field and two and seven at Bush Stadium. The Cardinals, Dustin, last year were the NL were the first in the NL Central, 93 wins and 69 losses. So that's why I think it's just so stunning to see their record is because of how good they were last year. Yeah. Um, the Cardinals, and I'm, you know, I'm totally fine with it. They're, they, they are really underperforming. 
Good. That's good news. Right. No so, problem. You're not going to hear me complain. I don't think you're going to hear any Cub fan complain about that. No. The Cubs took 2-3 or three from the Marlins like we talked about. The Cardinals lost 2-3 or three to the Tigers. I mean, think about that. Uh, they did win today's game 12-6. It was a weird, crazy back-and-forth game. So we'll see what happens today. So, uh, you know, we do have the pitching probables, Dustin. Let's take a look at them. We got game one. It is Marcus Stroman versus Miles Michaelis. We know all about the Stro show because it has been fun to watch. What hasn't been fun to watch is the offense when that guy pitches because they have been giving him no run support. Uh, he uh, Last game, he got a no decision, six innings. He gave up one run. The last game he was at, 428 Miami, went 6.1. He got a no decision, gave up two runs. And then against the Dodgers, he got a loss. That was his worst start of the year. He gave up five runs. So he has looked really good. Now, with Miles Michaelis, I'm just going to say this, is that he started awful in April. He has gotten better as of late. So if you sit here and you just say to yourself, oh, Miles Michaelis is 1-1 one one with a 579 ERA. We should really go to town on this guy. Just kind of be aware that in the last few starts, you know, it hasn't been horrible against the Angels on 5-3. He gave up three runs against the Giants. He went six innings. He gave up no runs against Seattle. He went five innings and gave up three runs, 5.1 innings. So he has looked better. So I, I wouldn't go about just absolutely thinking just because you're looking at a guy who has a bad ERA or doesn't have a lot of wins that he's necessarily going to, that is going to be an easy matchup. I think Miles Michaelis for, for many, many years has given the Cubs, not many, many years, but for plenty of years, he's given the Cubs some some issues. So I'm, I'm hoping that they come out there. When you look here, Tucker Barnhart's had 14 at-bats. It's 357 against them. Eric Hosmer, 16 at-bats, 375. Or I'm sorry, Nico Horner, 16 at-bats, 375. And Eric Hosmer has 11 at-bats at 455. And Dansby Swanson, 11 bats, 273. So some guys have some good numbers uh, against Michaelis. Against Stroh, the numbers don't look as great. Um, Edmund, the shortstop, 14 at-bats, 429. Paul Goldschmidt, we're going to talk about him plenty. 18 at-bats, 444 against Stroh. And then, Can we just uh, go like this with him? Just <laughs> just walk every time. Just walk him. Go to first. Lars Newtbar is the guy we're going to have to talk about, too. 10 at-bats against Stroh, 300. So on both sides, you got some guys that have some pretty decent numbers against the opposing pitcher. Newt Barr, got to love that name for an athlete. Right. That takes us to game two, Jack Flaherty and Jamison Tyone. So we saw Jamison finally come back from uh, that, that injury, that groin injury that he had, and we knew that it was going to be a little bit of rust, so, like, you know, you don't take that much out of it. But it's, he, has never, he hasn't had a real, you know, great start that you would say for the Cubs this year, and so hopefully uh, he starts to kind of pick it up. He's played, you know, there's four games, 529 ERA, 0-2. Against the Nationals, he went three innings. He gave he looked really good, but he had one inning where he gave up the two singles and then a three-run blast. That's all he really gave up, but that was enough, you know. He had four strikeouts against the Dodgers, which I think was his best game of the season. That was on 415. He went uh, five innings, gave up two hits and no runs, so clearly that was his best start. And then he struggled against the Texas on 4-9, so that was five innings pitch, six hits, four runs. So, you know, Hasn't been the greatest start of the season, but you know what? On the other side, hasn't been that great for Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty is one of those guys, Dustin, that I thought was really going to be a great pitcher. You know how Cardinals always tend to turn those out. And he's just had a lot of injuries. It's never really kind of come down. His last start against the Angels was a disaster. 
2.1 innings pitch. He gave up nine hits, 10 earned runs. Uh, against the Dodgers, he went 4.2. He gave him seven hits, four earned runs. And against Seattle, six innings pitch, five hits, three earned runs. So, I mean, very, very clear that the guy is struggling, and hopefully the Cubs can take advantage of that and, and, and hoping that Tyone has, you know, a better start than he had last time. Wasn't bad, but definitely need to do better. When we look at the matchups uh, against here, Tyone against – or the Cubs against Flaherty don't have a lot of good numbers, but then again, this is not the Flaherty that of old. Uh, you know, not a lot of guys have a ton of at-bats either. The Moster Barnhart has a 100 average against him in 10 at-bats, and Bellinger has a .091 average in 11 at-bats. So maybe give Nelson Velasquez a start here. You know, I, I, I know you want to do a lot of things, you know, and, and get a consistent lineup, but some of these guys need a day off. That might be a day for Bellinger to take a day that's off. A decent, that's a decent idea. That's, I, I could, I could, that's a decent idea. And then against Tyone, the uh, Cardinals don't have a lot of experience. Uh, Wilson Contreras has 15 at-bats. He's only hitting 200 against them. Paul DeYoung, 13 at-bats, 308. And Nolan Arenado, 6 with 500. And shockingly, Dustin, Paul Goldschmidt only hits 167 against Tyone, but only 6 at-bats. I like those numbers, though. Got to we'll like take that. Them. We'll take them. Uh-huh. Game three, our guy, the Bulldog. Justin Steele going up against Jordan Montgomery. We've talked earlier about Justin Steele being absolutely one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. He is just dominating in the last three games against Miami. Seven innings pitch, one earned run against Miami again. Six inning pitch, two earned run against San Diego, 5.1. Zero earned runs. The guy is clearly, the, uh, I mean, I, I would argue, I would say easily the best pitcher on this team right now. And that's really saying something because the Cubs have a pretty good pitching staff. Oh, yeah, Steele. Oh, come on. Okay. We talked about it in the first segment of the show, right? I mean, all-star game maybe. Maybe the starter. Maybe starter, yeah. Not, <laughs> so, I mean, all-star game is almost a gimme at this point, but maybe the starter. Jordan Montgomery uh, so far this season, he's 2-4 and four with the 329, but the same thing that I was talking about with Miles Michaelis, bad start, picking it up lately. He went six innings against Detroit, gave up six hits, two earned runs. He was a no decision. Uh, against the Dodgers, he went 6.2, five hits, one earned run. And against San Francisco, 0-1, 6.1. He got the loss. He went six innings. And, you know, he gave up uh, five hits, zero earned runs. So, I mean, it's just been uh, a, a bad start, but he has been really doing well as of lately. So, again, when you look at the numbers with some of, the, with some of these – uh, Cardinals pitchers, bad, bad, bad start, doing a lot better right now. I mean, he had one start against uh, Arizona where he gave up seven runs, and that really that really hurt his ERA. So that kind of gives you an idea where they're at. All right, Crowley, let's fast forward a little bit. Let's talk about the other uh, headline from this series, right? Wilson Contreras, we've mentioned that coming back. But there is some unbelievable news about Wilson Contreras and what he's going to be doing for the Cardinals moving forward, at least right now. He is no longer going to be squatting behind the plate for the Cardinals. They are moving him to the primary DH role, and oh, every once in a while you'll play a corner outfield, and then, oh, if we get desperate, we'll have you squat again behind the plate. So maybe, just maybe, and I'll raise my hand is, okay, I was wrong, the Cubs made the right move by not bringing him back, especially at this price. Anybody that listened to this podcast, I, I got one thing absolutely right, and I got one thing absolutely wrong. 
I said, there's no way the Cardinals are signing Wilson Contreras. I was not worried about it. <laughs> I was yawning. And I'll tell you why, Dustin, because he doesn't fit the model of what the Cardinals right. do. His strength was in his hitting. He was one of the best hitting catchers besides JT Real Muto. But you know what? I And it's what we looked at the numbers last season. Every Cubs pitcher, when they were throwing to Jan Gomes, was a full ERA a full run better in their ERA than when Wilson was Contreras was catching them other than Marcus Stroman, who had like a bizarre season just in general last year. <laughs> but I know I, I, I told you what he can't do. I told you he's not really good at framing and he's gotten better at it. But I also told you he's not good at game prepping, game planning, all the things that Jan Gomes is great at. And that's the direction Cubs were looking. I said they were going run prevention and having Wilson Contreras behind the plate is not going to help in run prevention. Now, what the Cardinals GM was thinking because remember there's two teams interested. It was the Cardinals in Houston and Houston said, you're, you're not getting Martin Maldonado's our catcher. He's great doing all those things that I talked about. The Jan Gomes does great. It's what a lot of teams are looking for in their catchers and the Cardinals. And I said, you know, I was shocked. I said he was going to, I thought that Wilson was going to sign with, with Houston and be the primary DH. And the Cardinals said, no, we're going to let you be the primary catcher. You're going to catch every day. You're taking over for Yadier Molina. And I said that was going to be a huge mistake. The Cardinals were going to regret it. Uh, Wilson was going to regret it because he was going to hear about it. The fact that they pulled the plug as quick as they did surprised me. But it's, May the, it's May the what, Crowley? It's May the 8th? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know what they say. Pennants aren't won in April, but they definitely are lost. And and you're you're very much in danger of falling out of contention here. And they had to, this was the emergency move that they had to make here. And so John Mosaic was talking, he talked to um, Katie Wu from the athletic and he, he said, you know, at first they said, Oh yeah, we're going to have him play outfield. Now they walked that back. And, and, and so it looks like just a primary DH role, primary DH. And, and, and the quotes in here are interesting in, when I looked at this. And it's everything I told people about Wilson Contreras. You know what? I didn't want to lose Rizzo. I thought he would have been a good bridge guy. And you know what? They got some great pieces for him. I didn't want to lose Bryant because I thought his skill sets would age well. He's had injury histories. but Coward. He's I, a coward. He's I don't coward. think so. He's a coward. But he's a Baez, coward. Baez, he, went to, he went to Colorado to retire. Baez is a guy that um, I thought that his skill set would d diminish as he got older. I thought that he was really good because of his freak athletic ability, but I knew that wasn't going to play over a long term. But I never once cared that Wilson Contreras was leaving. Not once. And and this the quotes here are absolutely crazy. And this is what Mosaic said. He said, obviously the Cardinals were used to one guy behind the plate for close to two decades. The nuances of that position maybe very subtle, are what a lot of pitchers were used to. What we're seeing was a lack of confidence. Normally you say, why don't you address this in spring training? But it's different pitchers are going a couple innings. It didn't count. But here's where it's really damning to me. Um, we, with this, we noticed a lot of puzzling trends we, we know we need to fix. We know we need to address it. We just decided to do it head on. Uh, put it out there. Do we think we've seen Wilson catch his last game? No, but this is going to take a little time to get him where he feels he understands the expectations of what the role is. And here it is right here. I'm going to give you the quote here. There are many parts of our team right now that are not performing what we expected. I do think the nuances of the catching side we haven't had to spend a lot of energy thinking about because of what Yachty did for us. 
you know that saying you you sometimes feel like you had a coach on the field that's yadi that's what how we thought even though you might have a game plan yadi had the ability to allow that to evolve during a game real time decision making and that's what wilson complained about if you remember he complained about he would change the game plan up from what um, Tommy Hadovy and what Chris Young were the Cubs have always kind of been very hands-on uh, on what the game planning was and Wilson would kind of go off script and they did not like that about Wilson no. and Yachty is somebody that was able to do that the Cardinals gave him that it was like having a coach on the field and so you know they think Wilson can do the same thing and they didn't know that that is one of his weaknesses it's ridiculous that they made a long-term deal on something like that and not realize that he can't do what they want him to do listen it's going to be really interesting to see what happens tonight Monday night at Wrigley Field when he comes up to bat for the first time you would assume he's going to be in the lineup as the DH um I like the guy he meant a lot to the Cubs um, the fanboy in me uh, didn't want to see him leave, but you were right. The front office was right. So here we go. All right, Crowley, prediction time. Cubs, Cardinals, first time this year, three games at Wrigley. What are you thinking? I'm thinking the Cubs take two out of three. I think it's going to be a crazy series. Um, you know the, what they say about the Cubs-Cardinals series. doesn't matter. Throughout the records when these Throughout the records, play, yep. mm-hmm. it, it, I think it's going to be a wild one. I, I agree. I'm, I'm with you. Two out of three. And we'll get back together right here on the Fly the W podcast. We will recap it all. It should be super emotional. So that's a wrap. Don't forget to listen, download, review. Most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W670 podcast. Follow the socials, Fly the W on Facebook and on Instagram. Email flythew670gmail.com. And watch us. YouTube by subscribing to the 670 The Score YouTube channel. Crowley, have a great week. We will talk midweek after the Cubs and Cardinals wrap things up. Absolutely. I will be at the game on Monday, so I will be reporting on all things Wilson Contreras, and and we'll see what happens. But nothing makes me happier than beating the Cardinals. So with that, go Cubs. It's all over. 